5.15 and counting on this drive. Big third down and nine. Leary has time. Climbs the pocket. Throws and caught. That's Thomas. Here goes Thayer Thomas. Touchdown. Wolfpack. 26 yards. I love, that's rivalry stuff oh, right that there. That is absolute rivalry yeah, do that, stuff. Do that Jumpman logo. And welcome to today's episode of the Pipeline ACC Podcast. I am Dan Siegel from ACC Content. Jason Gibbs is back on the show this weekend. Jason, we've got the ACC season in the books. And I think the theme for this rivalry week is that history repeats itself. What say you? Dan, glad to be back. Better than ever. I had a little bit of a... A little bit of under-the-weather spell, but nothing could rain on the parade of this past weekend. Uh, rivalry week is the best. And, you know, obviously we covered the ACC, but there was some uh, tremendous games outside the ACC. And I don't know, man. It's just a, it's just a, a great time of the year. Basketball's firing up and some really great matchups. Can't wait for bowl season. Obviously, yeah, we have the bowl season coming up. We have the ACC championship game between Wake Forest and Pitt, which we will preview this, uh, get with this week, this coming week, yeah, on Wednesday. And we'll do our pipey award ceremonies for the ACC. I already released my um, personal awards, but we'll add a lot more to it this coming week. But today we are going to recap this past action in the ACC. Anyway, let's and get to our helmet stickers. So, Jason, what's your first helmet sticker from this past weekend? My first one, Dan, is I'm going with Raheem Blackshear. You know, just a great game for the the Hokies. You know, 169 yards and a touchdown. You know, an emotional game, obviously. You know, it's always a, a, a heated rivalry with Virginia. And... I mean, could we, could we have predicted this a couple weeks back? The Hokies and Virginia finished with the exact same record overall and in conference. And obviously the Hokies get the nod because they pulled off the victory head-to-head. But just Blackshear kind of, you know, keeping them grounded and, and keeping the ball moving down, you know, down the field and uh, great win for the Hokies. It kind of goes back to the first thing I said on this pod, and that is that history repeats itself. We'll get to that when we recap the game of Virginia and Virginia Tech, but I'm staying along the theme as you. I'm going Virginia Tech interim head coach J.C. Price because motivates his team and continues the rivalry dominance. I'm not sure that that team wins with Fuente as the head coach. Doesn't matter. They have very much instability in terms of their coaching, but able to get them up to play for this game and the rivalry, obviously in itself. I talked about in the preview that's going to be enough of a motivating factor. But somebody's calling the plays. Somebody's keeping the team together. Somebody's you know timeouts, managing the clock, and that is the interim head coach J.C. Price. So props to him. Yeah, you know, I don't know if everyone knows this, but Price was actually a player at Virginia Tech, so he's kind of a lifer, right? He he played there, you know, throughout his football career, and then he goes on and he's coaching there. And if you saw the interview with him after the game, he's choking up and he's saying, you know, that's you know Virginia Tech's home, and that's why he was so kind of fired up and emotional about it. So, yeah, I, I agree totally. That's that's a great pick. 
you know, uh, for for a helmet sticker. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go something kind of similar. I think this might have been the first time we've ever given coaches one. At least both of us, anyway. I'm going with Dave Clawson. You know, 18th ranked Wake Forest will probably move up a little bit when you know during the in the rankings and 10 and two overall, seven one the ACC spot in the ACC championship game. And he doesn't he doesn't have a top 10 class. You know, he's not gonna like be signing five stars or people from the transfer portal just flocking to Wake Forest. And yet here they are, their offense is working, you know, um, their super seniors really paid off this year. Hartman's been great. And Clawson's, you know, the ring leader. So just a, a hats off. Obviously they they beat uh, Boston College badly, but really this is just kind of a, a season-long helmet sticker, if you will, for, for Dave Clawson. I cannot stress enough how great of a job Dave Clawson has done, not just this season, but in terms of building up to this season, building this team over the last several years into a Atlantic champion. And he did win my ACC Coach of the Year in the awards. If you want to check that out, if not, we will discuss it on the podcast later this week. But Final helmet sticker, I'm going over to North Carolina at NC State, which will actually be the first game we recap, so perfect segue. I'm going with Emeka Amezi, who had five receptions for 112 yards and two touchdowns under two minutes to play, which will lead us to our factoid of the day. Factoid of the day. NC State trailed by nine with 2.12 left in this game. We're 0 and 451 that scenario this year. It's until this game where NC State comes back and defeats the North Carolina Tar Heels. So just a wild sequence at the end of the game. First off, a Grayson Atkins 50-yard field goal gives UNC a 30-21 lead at the 218 mark. Then Devin Leary you know, gets the ball back. And, but he gets sacked. And we're thinking, you know, it's really over. I'm actually ready to send out my post-game congratulatory tweet to UNC. Hopefully I don't hit send because he throws a 64-yard touchdown to Amezi to 28. And the state recovers the onside kick. A four-yard touchdown pass to Amezi moments later. Four to 20. UNC has time. They get it all the way to the NC State 30. Powell throws up a prayer, intercepted by our guide, Derek Pitts, ACC content second team, OACC member. NC State comes out with the win. Obviously, NC State did not end up winning the Atlantic because Wake won their own game, but great way to end the season for the Pack. Yeah, really hats off to them for, for an outstanding win and, you know, over their bitter rivals. I had, a, you know, I... I a lot of people were, were, you know, calling State a gutsy win. I'll give them props. They, they hung in there. They never gave up. But to me, the story of this game was just a complete and total collapse by North Carolina. Like you said, it was 30-21. to 21. I assumed, okay, that's a two-score. You know, I, I don't know. If, I, don't, I can't remember their timeout situation. But it just seemed like the game was over. Got the roughing the passer call on UNC was horrific. That was a terrible call. But that's not why they lost the game. They just totally choked it. I don't know how you let someone 
beat you deep in that situation. You know, in the past on our award-winning podcast, I've mentioned, hey, Jay Bateman, the defensive coordinator for UNC, he might be getting on the hot seat a little bit. And this is the type of performance that, that I'm kind of referencing, just a total breakdown in fundamentals. I don't know how it happened. What, what did NC State scored like two touchdowns in 27 seconds or something? It was amazing. I mean, again, hats off to him for, for uh, sticking with it and, and never giving up. But, man, that is just a brutal loss by UNC. A game you had in the bag. I think they went 0 for the road this year. And, and just think about their year. They started out top 10 team, and they finished 6-6, six and 3-5 six, and five in the ACC. Just abysmal. And you don't, I don't know if any changes are going to be made, perhaps. But because to me, this, you know, when it started out, I was like, oh, this is another Dave Dorn collapse, you know, a little letdown game. But hey, give them props. Wolfpack stuck with it. And, and Dorn kind of is putting that to rest a little bit this year because there's been quite a, a, a couple of times where that could have happened and, and it hadn't. So great win by NC State and absolutely horrific loss by UNC. Big theme in the ACC this year, and that is that the co- the programs with the big money, the big resources are not competing or not doing as well, at least, as the programs have good coaching and maybe not as much resources. And that's really refreshing to see in some ways. It's also kind of sad in other ways, but way for UNC this game, it was kind of, like you alluded to the defensive issues that were same old, same old. Defensive issues, I think, were the same way. Howell looked good and not great. And there were multiple plays where he threw absolute dimes to, I think it was Anton Green in the end zone. Great adjustments to the ball. Dropped it. And this was not a one-time thing. I think it was two or three times. And uh, an interesting note here, the FBS leaders in Pressure to sack rate, which is the the rate of which you get pressured turns into sacks. So a high number would be bad. And the top three in all of FBS football this year. One, Hendon Hooker. Number two, Malik Willis. And number three, Sam Howell, which is super interesting. Either way, yeah, Devin Leary gets it done again. He ends up making my third team all ACC because just Incredible consistency game after game this year. So, Leary has just been super underrated. Maybe in the the top of the class of the ACC quarterbacks that are getting underappreciated, I think Devin Leary might lead that. Yeah, he'd have to be. Yeah, I'd have to say he's probably. Um, if we made an all underrated team, he he'd probably be up there, right? You know. Flying under the radar, obviously, guys like Kenny Tuglove, Pickett, and, and Brennan Armstrong, and, and some of those guys are making more headlines. Even Sam Howell, because he had the early season, um, you know, Heisman hype. But man, Leary just steady Eddie flying under the radar, putting up good numbers er- every week. That's all I've got to say on that, though. Um... A very good game. Then we go into the Saturday twelve o'clock slate, and to be honest, I did not watch a single second of this game live. Georgia beating Georgia Tech forty-five to nothing. I did watch the condensed game, and man, nothing I didn't expect. Just 
at least I didn't have to go through the pain of seeing it live, and I just got to see all the plays one after one after the other. It was much better that way. Straight meeting in which Georgia wins by twenty. Jason, do you have anything to offer about this one? Well, I'll say this: I know you don't want to toot your own horn. I'm going to toot it for you. You were ahead of the curve a couple of weeks ago. You started flagging, "Hey, we didn't think Georgia Tech was going to have a good year, you know, because of their brutal schedule, but." Things don't look very peachy under Jeff Collins. And I think you might be right. I think that the heat has turned up significantly on him because, granted, it was Notre Dame and it was Georgia, but their last two games, they were outscored 100 to nothing. And I, I, I don't even know what to say. You know, what did they, they ended the year losing, like, how many did they lose in a row? Like five or six in a row? Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six in a row, including the last two by 100 to nothing. Uh, I think they better, you know, start putting out some feelers because, you know, uh, otherwise things are going to go south and, and it's going to be like a huge rebuilding process. Just no, no development. Yeah, no development with Sims and Gibbs. It seems like he's taking a step back. The whole team is taking feel like five steps back and three and nine, one and five at home. I don't know. It's, it's just, things are not good. And, you know, for, I'm sure Georgia tech fans are just, you know, in complete and total despair right now. Well, you want to know something? Did you hear the report? I think that came out Friday that Collins is going to stay at Georgia tech another year. Their athletic director said, this is my guy. So, he does have the talent there. Does, you know, the talent will year older, but are they developing? Do they have their quarterback? I'm really going to need to see a lot of sides next year. I'm not sure about that move. But, in rebuilding for a while, I guess, it's, whenever you get a new coach, you're automatically giving yourself, like, a two-year down period. So, I guess they're investing in another year. But, sure about that one either way uh georgia on the other hand best team in the country right now have them easily the most likely team to win the college football playoffs and that'll be fun to watch but we're an acc pod we're not gonna toot them too much are we <laughs> i think let's let's talk about this one how about wake forest beating boston college 31 to 10 State was all on the Eagles' side this weekend, but it just, I was starting to hear the rumblings. This is a fraudulent Wake Forest team. They're not really that good. They just winning games in fluky ways. What do they do? They win absolutely convincingly in what was considered a trap game. The win of the season for Dave Clawson. You talked about it in your helmet sticker. Clawson gets a much-deserved extension. For Wake Forest. And how about this? Did you see that video he had in an interview? I think he was taking a backhanded shot at Narduzzi because he said, I'm not going to post any videos, you know, with my face over Leonardo DiCaprio's of me saying, I'm not leaving, I'm back. That's exactly what Pat Narduzzi did when he, his extension, hmm. a little. Will he come in between the two coaches? Mm. 
Spicy. I love it. Yeah. You know, so I, I obviously, like I said, I was in a highly medicated state, you know, and I, I need to play the, the sound effect for the excuse train again when I picked Boston College. And maybe, you know, maybe w- when Phil Dracovic came back again, we had hyped him up all year and he came back and he kind of led them in that emotional victory against Virginia Tech. Maybe we bought into the hype too much because obviously he just missed too much time and he was very, very rusty against really a porous Wake Forest defense. Uh, the Eagles only mustered 10 points. But Hartman and company on the Demon Deeks offense just, just kept coming, and they, and they wouldn't stop. A.T. Perry had another great year. He's been a, a, a total revelation this year to go with Roberson. And, you know, hats off to, hats off to Demon Deeks. I, I know that Boston College was affected by the flu. I think – they they had missed ten people, you know, lost ten guys right before the game. I had locked this in early in the week, but I saw the line steaming up toward Wake Forest before kickoff, and so I knew I, had, I knew I had attached myself to a to an anchor. But uh, another great win, and you know the pressure was on the Deeks. They they lose, they're out. Right, NC State was gonna win, win the con or win the uh, their division or whatever, but. Great, great win for them and great win for Clawson. And hey, I, I like a little smack talk. I like a little trash talk. Let's let's get it going. Can't wait for this uh, ACC championship game. It's going to be a very unique one, and I'm very excited for it because it's probably my favorite of the potential matchups that we're going into the weekend. BC was, yeah, they were hit by the flu. You're right about that. That's kind of why I actually took Wake Forest when I was able to at the four and a half point spread. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered if I got him at five and a half, but Kovic was clearly not anywhere near himself. I don't know whether he was personally hit by the flu or not, but for 11, 19 yards and two interceptions, he's never been anywhere close to that bad. Six total yards by BC second half. That's just much unlike them. They were doing even much more with even Grossell at quarterback, at least being able to run the ball. But it's a sign for the Wake defense. One progression that I've seen later in the season when I was looking at the statistics is Hartman's kind of keeping the ball a little bit more on those, you know, slow developing mesh plays where, you know, he does a play action, but then instead of going to a guy in the quick slant or looking downfield, doing a, he just runs behind the uh, blocking back and picks up six, seven yards. I think. So he didn't have more than 10-plus rushes, not including sacks, just pure rushes. He didn't have 10-plus attempts in a single game all season up until November, and then in November he keeps the ball 10-plus times in three of four games. So just an interesting progression about how Sam Hartman's been used. He's been a little bit inconsistent, the usual Sam Hartman, but if he's on, we're looking at a very enticing championship game. Yeah, agreed. I I had predicted the over under would be 74, 76. It came in a little little lower than I expected, 72. Thought that was a little interesting. But uh I feel like the over's a good play there. I, I'll do more analysis, you know, when it gets a little closer. Going to be interesting for sure. That that's it's I think and I think David Hale tweeted this. I I don't know if it was him or not. Might not have been him, but uh, I think this is only like the second time Wake Forest and Pittsburgh have ever played. Kind of wild. 
it's only it's either the second or third time. I, we'll have to look that up and, and lock that in, but definitely not like a lot of familiarity. So it'll be interesting to see what the play calling's like. True, actually, yeah, because you seem to figure out when the coaches stay in the conference, and Clawson and Narduzzi have been in the conference for a while. You seem to figure each other out when you play each other every year, but it's a unique matchup. That's that's an interesting little note there. Uh, yeah, that that's all doing for that game, the Wake at BC. Moving on to Florida State at Florida. Let's talk about that onside kick. <laughs> 40, 49 seconds to go. That's plenty of time the way Jordan Travis was moving the ball late. And kicker Ryan Fitzgerald early grazes the ball on an onside kick attempt. It like flutters off the tee two feet in front of it. It was funny. EJ Manuel in the post game analysis from the ACC network says, I hurt because it's my team, but it's also kind of funny. <laughs> I, I, I'm totally with him there, but man, let me ask you this. I don't know if you're a big football rules expert, but say Ryan Fitzgerald completely whiffs on the ball doesn't even like tap it in front of him mm-hmm. that just counts as a false start and they could re-kick it do you, are you do you know i don't know dan i i would um I, i'm sure there's been times where under certain you know like wind they've run up to go and the wind's blowing it off and they you know they didn't actually kick it it wasn't like it was a false start they just re-teed it and, and, and kicked it again. I, so I don't know. You know. I know in that situation there's, there's no penalty. But I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think that you would, there would be a penalty. But it, it would definitely be you know, something to kind of look up and find out. Yeah, but, I mean, it was, it was just terrible. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. And th- that is a win that Norvell needed really Really bad against it's kind of the same thing as Virginia, which we'll talk about later. Two struggling, mediocre teams, but you're the one with head coaching stability. You got to take care of your rival when you can. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mentioned it, I think, last pot, I, I, at least last pot I was on. You want to make a bowl because it gives you those extra weeks of practice. We've talked ad nauseum about Norvell's uh, kind of lost year last year with COVID and, and stuff like this. Uh, but here's an interesting fact. I, we had, I had a uh, Florida state fan, you know, message me and this is Norvell's second year, right? You know who else's second year it is? Sam Pittman for Arkansas. Just compare those two programs right there. And they, listen, they both took over very similar programs, programs that were kind of in the dumpster. In fact, Florida state was probably a little bit better. And, Sam Pittman's in the SEC, which is, you know, demonstrably better than the ACC, especially this year. Uh, it, may, it made me really give pause. Now, obviously, you know, Pittman's a great coach. He's going to possibly win SEC Coach of the Year. But it really made me start doing a little bit of a double take with Norvell, especially after watching this type of game, a game that, you know, Florida has mailed it in. Let's face it, right? They, they've mailed it in on numerous occasions this year. Mullen's gone. And, yeah, they, they had a bowl to play for, but it wasn't 
like, you know, okay, they're 30 point favorites or something. They were barely favored at home over a, a, a middling Florida State team. So the Knowles should have won this game. They had everything to play for. They had the coaching stability, as you mentioned. And, and then they just didn't. They're lucky they even kept the score as close as it was. Definitely a deceiving 24 to 21, but but like in most stages, they played almost well enough to win. Just bad situational football, which is why they came up uh, short on the scoreboard. Travis, not knowing how to get out of bounds before halftime, tackled in the middle of the field um, with the seconds winding off the clock well into Florida territory. Could have been a Hail Mary. What could have been a potential field goal leads to zero points on the drive. And Jordan Travis actually ends up getting hurt at some point. I think it was in the second half. Mackenzie Milton comes in. Obviously, Mackenzie Milton throws an interception because you wouldn't expect anything more. <laughs> and I get it. Like, he's a backup quarterback, but program like that, you, you kind of need to have a competent backup if you're going to use your quarterback in the way that they use Jordan Travis, just running through contact, taking hits and stuff. So it was a very frustrating loss to me. Just who have the coaching and they don't look like the more polished team on the football field. And I feel like it's the same way with UVA Virginia Tech, which we'll get to. It just, it just wasn't the case in this one. Yeah, I mean, Florida State they had a, a couple of, of good wins this year and then some some really bad losses. Obviously, the loss to the FCS team, Jacksonville State. This loss to Florida team, or to, this loss to Florida, you could throw in there. They had the Louisville game that they could have won, the, the early on Notre Dame game, which would have been a real feather in their cap. The Clemson game, I, I, they, you could just go on and on. Just so many games that they, they could have salted away or, or – or pulled it out and didn't, and now they're not even going to make a bowl. Really bad for them, and it's also really bad for the Duke Blue Devils, who, to this, they lose all eight ACC games this season. Seven out of eight of them were by at least 24 points. Whoa. Let that sink in. Cliff is gone game Miami defeated them 47 to 10 and Manny Diaz TBD obviously TVD he was <laughs> he, he kept it very simple in this game and uh, shortest average depth of target on the year the shortest was actually Pitt you know he hit his checkdowns finishes the year I think as the clear cut offensive rookie of the year and like I said, Cutcliffe is officially gone. As far as Manny Diaz is concerned, I'm not sure. I'm kind of 50-50 on what actually will happen. I mean, I don't think this momentum of the Duke game will really do anything. We saw the Tech's head coach get fired after blowing out Duke. I don't think they put much stock into it, but 7-10, to 10, exactly what we expected, Jason. Yeah, blowout city.
as far as Manny Diaz goes, I can't imagine him being retained. They're going to have a new athletic director. That person's going to want to bring in their own guy, and they're just going to want to go in a new direction. Probably take a hard look at Mario Cristobal from Oregon, maybe a couple other guys. Napier's off the board. He's gone to Florida. So uh, I'll say this. Manny Diaz, he, he kind of resurrected himself. He, he, his guys fought hard all year, and so hats off to him, but I just think it was probably too little too late. 100%. Like, Miami's very much like a Florida State program in that it doesn't matter if you finish your year five, six, seven wins. If you start atrocious, you're, it doesn't matter how you finish. It's just your, your ex- expectations are going to be much higher, and that's just the case. And it should be the case because you have a, sh- a tradition of winning. You have a lot of resources. That's just how it's got to be. So it's just unfortunate. And I think um, leading into this next game, which is Virginia Tech defeating Virginia, a lot of similar trends here. Virginia Tech winning this one 29-24. to 24. I'll start on a positive note. We'll go from the Hokie perspective. The legend of J.C. Price continues. First through his playing days, then through his uh, coaching days, his short-lived coaching days at Virginia Tech. But they will be a little bit longer-lived because by winning this game, Hokies go bowling. So 14 more practices, one more game with J.C. Price as a head coach. A lot of people happy about that. And as far as the rivalry goes, I think that's 22-2 and for Virginia Tech in the last 24. History repeats itself. And when you're talking about this many games, same thing happening over and over and over again. I think it's really got to be a mindset culture kind of thing. Just one team knows they're superior to the other and just lives onto the field time after time. And I know Bronco Mendenhall prepares his guys like Virginia Tech game is their life. Maybe they got to stop doing that because it, it's whatever they're doing, it's not working. Yeah, I mean, think about this. Uh, they get extremely lucky with Miami. The same with Louisville. You're legitimately a couple of plays away from being four and eight. And not difficult plays, like, you know, makeable field goals on the last play of the game. They finish up the year losing four in a row. They get blown out at, my, at BYU, and that just started the downward spiral. They did play tough versus Pitt, but the reality is they still lost uh, by 10 points with the, you know, Coastal Division on the line. And some, uh, one of the Who's, I can't remember which Who's account brought it up, but they brought up when, when Mendenhall took the job and he said something like they don't have six ACC players in the locker room, kind of taking a shot at his players. And they said, are we sure we have, you know, ACC coaches in this locker room? You know, because like you said, at some point, it's, it's no longer a trend. This is who you are. And I don't know. I, I would have never thought a few weeks ago that we might be talking about Bronco Mendenhall in the hot seat. I think we're trending in that direction. Mm, I, I think so, too. I actually tweeted this out. There is an imaginary meeting of coaches that we need to have serious discussions about. 
And I think representatives of UVA need to be invited to that meeting now. In <laughs> fact, in fact, I think Boston College, Clemson, NC State, Pitt, and Wake are the only five teams that are exempt from that discussion. Just a little state of our conference kind of thing here. But yeah, it was. You're, it was, you're, you're including coordinators, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're, I mean, because I, I, I wouldn't think UNC would, would get rid of Mac Brown. No, no, I don't think they should get rid of Mac Brown, but do they need to have serious discussions about the coordinators? And, oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. How they're running their team? I yeah, so. absolutely. And I, I like that. I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think uh, the, the teams you named, and honestly, it's a little early. I know this is just passion coming out. But I, I had a couple uh, Boston College uh, fans m- message me saying they really weren't happy with the way Halfley kind of finished the season. So I'm not saying he's on a short leash, but at least those rumblings are, are coming up even with him. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that. I think he actually said he plans to stay in BC long term. I don't think anybody will be stopping him from that. But we need to see more results for sure. Obviously, his quarterback got hurt. But back to Virginia Tech and Virginia, it, it was just it was horrible game management. I'm I'm surprised we've gotten this far in this game discussion without talking about one of the worst play calls of all time. <laughs> when punting, when punting the ball from your opponent 38 is not one of the worst things you've done during the game. That is not a good thing. How about this? A pass backwards to an offensive lineman against zone defense on third and goal with the game on the line. From the 10-yard line with one of the best offenses in the country and wide receiver mismatches everywhere on the field. Our guy, uh, RVA Who, tweeted that (laughs) uh, offensive coordinator Robert Anai Basically expected that, that Geico baby commercial where they <laughs> pretend that the baby is the football and it's a trick playing into a touchdown. That's basically what they were hoping would happen. It was, it was pathetic. Yeah, I mean, it, a bold strategy, Cotton, right? You know, to pull off that kind of tr- – that's a game to me. I mean, that's a play that you, you run in a spring game. You know, <laughs> when I saw that, I just was thinking, I, I guess uh, they're, they're expecting some to really catch Virginia Tech by surprise, but <laughs> none of it happened. None of it happened. And to you're that close to the goal line, you know, you have Armstrong, who's been great all year. You know, you have Wicks, you have Kemp, you have guys all over the field, like you said, they can make plays. You throw the ball backwards, now you're further away from the goal line. And you're down, you know, goal to go. So it's not like the defense has a lot of room to, to kind of cover. So, you know, you run that play at your own 30 or whatever. The defense has a lot more ground to cover. They have a lot more space. You, you can streak guys down the field. They didn't have to drop that far, and then they could automatically come up and, like, and you know, kill your kill your lineman who just caught the ball. I don't know. It was terrible, and it was just terrible management. But I don't want to take anything away from the Hokies. They 
they fought tough. You know, really a a, a gutty performance by uh, Braxton Burmeister. Had some good throws. You know, he's been nicked up for a lot of the year. But, you know, he ran for 115 yards, so he's he, he's kind of played gutty. And, and, and Hokies come away, give their guy Price uh, a victory, able to light up that victory cigar. But, yep, it, it, you know, it, it, it kind of mirrors. It's like you said, you know, um, things, history repeating itself. It kind of remi- mirrors the uh, NC State-UNC game. A great win for the team that won, and then just a terrible loss for the team that lost. That's just how college football works sometimes. But Virginia Tech, they went in with a game plan exactly that I expected, right? Sustained drives, exploiting UVA through the run game. They were just much, much more successful in doing so than I thought. And, I mean, besides that, it's just it's a second opposing field storming we saw this weekend. So how about that? <laughs> yeah, think- great stuff, man. Yeah. And then uh, we also had, you know, after recovering from that, we had some late night football, or I guess evening football wasn't that late at night. But uh, we'll start with Pitt at Syracuse. So Pitt winning 31 to 14. And uh, I guess this game's technically a rivalry, although it didn't seem like either team treated it that way. How about this account, this tweet from the Pitt football account, though? Pitt held the top rusher in the ACC to a season low 29 yards on Saturday. Pleased with our <laughs> performance. Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's a good one. Yeah. But, yeah, they just. I will, say, I will say this. I, I mean, it's fine. I don't, I don't mind when, when accounts take shots at each other or whatever. But. Sean Tucker's tweets have been great and they've been kind of, you know, entertaining. It's not like he's doing, taking a shot at, at them. So a little unnecessary, but again, I guess it's all, all fun games. No, I was fine with it. it. They're not taking a shot directly at him. They're just playing fun. Um, they did refer to him as the top rusher in the ACC. So they're, they're respecting him for what he's worth. But, uh, yeah, I think Pitt just kept it simple this game, right? Basic runs, lots of screens, quick patterns. Really, I thought the strategy was let's not show anything on film to wake. And they still got a comfortable win, which is just the state of each of these two programs. I thought it, Syracuse, they showed fight, but they were just overmatched, weren't they? Yeah, I, I agree with you. They, they were overmatched. Uh, I thought maybe Syracuse would play better at home. Pitt just too much firepower, and they kept it simple, kept kind of stuff off the film, you know, for uh, their upcoming game against Wake in in the ACC championship game. Yeah, and um, Dino Babers, I I could see a decision going either way. My expectation is that he stays, but we also did hear news that uh, Sterling Gilbert, the offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach at Syracuse is out, which I don't blame them. Defensive coordinator, um, Tony White, I think is his name. He's going to stay, and he's done a great job there. So we'll see. But I, I, I can see it going either way, but my expectation is Baber stays, especially after they just fired o- the offensive coordinator. I don't see them firing the head coach now. But, yeah, agreed. 
Um, let's move on to Clemson at South Carolina. Jason, I'm just thankful that the ACC always has this one rivalry that they will dominate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about Clemson a lot, and and you know they're they kind of quietly went nine and three, finishing the year strong. And how about a complete and total domination, thirty to nothing? That includes. DJ Wendley throwing for 99 yards and an interception. They they did it on the ground. They their defense has been elite all year. It's been totally overshadowed uh, by their offensive struggles and by their ex not meeting expectations. But man, if they could have gotten just a little offense this year, we'd probably be talking about them uh, in the college football playoffs. It'd basically be Notre Dame, right? Or not? maybe not this year's Notre Dame team, but like the stereotypical Notre Dame team. If they, you know, if they got just a little bit of offense, that's exactly what they would have been. And they, that's top 10 for this year. So, hey, they go out and get a quarterback in the portal. And, you know, they, they got a lot of their defensive players returning. They got two good young backs. They just go out and get a transfer quarterback. Dylan Gabriel is now available. I expect a lot more to be in the near future. And Clemson's back, in my opinion. And in this game, we just we expected a lot of ground and pound, ground and pound. Well, only one team was able to do so successfully. 30 to nothing, dominant victory for the Tigers. And that's all I got for that. So let's move on to... Kentucky at Louisville, because this is another ACC versus SEC rivalry, but this one did not really go our way. Bloody, chippy game as expected, and it was just super frustrating to watch because Kentucky just absolutely had their way, dominated, and uh, was a final score this one, 52-21 in favor of the Wildcats. Yeah. Embarrassing. I mean, cards were actually favored in this game. Uh, I think they were minus three, and they didn't even come close to covering that. You know, uh, the game was basically over at halftime, 24 to 7 at halftime, and Kentucky didn't let up. They scored at least double digits in every single quarter. I know this is weird, but 52-21 is probably misleading. The game was even worse than that, to be honest. very disappointing uh, performance by uh, Scott Satterfield's crew. Malik Cunningham, very pedestrian, you know, only threw for 145 yards, no touchdowns, only ran for 35 on the ground. Meanwhile, Will Levis, the banana-eating fool, four touchdowns on the ground, 113 yards as well, only 149 through the air, but they didn't need it. They were eating them up. They, you know... Wildcats rushed for 362 yards, average 7.4 yards a carry, including seven touchdowns on the ground. Uh, just domination. And I talked about in the uh, pregame episode how Kentucky uses a lot of disguises and misdirections with their run plays. It was a little bit of a letdown for the Louisville defense, who I was kind of ready to say. They made an improvement on that side of the ball this year. Maybe not as much as I would have expected preseason in my bold takes, but definitely made some improvement. But then it kind of goes backwards with a game like this, for sure. I will give credit to Evan Conley, the backup quarterback who comes in for an injured 
Malik Cunningham does ball a little bit. I think he came in and had a big run immediately of 20 yards when the game was still within striking distance and came back in later, but then just started moving the ball when it was just too little too late. But we love those patient backup quarterbacks that always do their job, sit under the shadows and get their number called upon and do their job. So just giving a little bit of credit to Evan Conley ending on a positive note. So, I mean... That's all for football. We've got Wake and Pitt playing in the ACC championship game this Saturday. Do we got a time for that? We've got we got eight o'clock kickoff on ABC. So it is three point favorites at the moment. Interesting to see where that line moves. I think it opened at two and a half. So I think that's the right move to move Pitt up a little bit. But before we go, let's just talk a little bit of basketball. So we had um. Probably after that NC State game, perhaps game of the year as far as the regular season is concerned. One of the most entertaining regular season games I've watched in a long time. Top pick against top pick. Duke takes down Gonzaga 84-81. to Yeah, I mean, it was – I did feel bad because it, it, this is, I think, the second game this year that Gonzaga's – played a, a top you know top five matchup in which the the tip is 10 30 so it was a little little late for people on the east coast but man did it live up to the hype you know uh paulo bancaro 20 points in the first half dealt with severe cramping in the second half but his teammates picked him up you know wendell moore jr solid um i, I when when uh when duke, duke was up three at halftime, 45-42. And I looked at the second half line, and it was uh, the Zags minus seven. I actually thought that was really good value because they uh, the game, for the game, they were eight-and-a-half-point favorites. Because I thought, man, you know, they, they basically were held down in the first half, and they're only down three. You know, I thought it was good value, but I, I was wrong. You know, the Blue Devils, you know, our guy, my boy, Mark Williams, just played an unbelievable game. So solid in the middle, you know, defensive, stalwart. You know, also added 17 points, nine boards, five blocks, including that, you know, clutch one on Drew Timmy's shot in the paint with about 30 seconds left. I don't know. Duke, uh, Duke's obviously one of the best teams in the country. You know, you, you expressed concerns at the beginning of the year because – We've seen this kind of script before from Duke. You know, not much veteran leadership, a bunch of freshmen, and it doesn't seem like it works as well at Duke as it does maybe at Kentucky or, or somewhere like that. But so far, they look like they could be really sending possibly Mike Krzyzewski out on a high note. I don't, like, I don't think that they've been in a class of their own in the conference in all the years that they've been picked preseason and not won the ACC. Like, I think this is the first time that they are by far the best team in reality, and that is undisputed. I wouldn't be surprised to see them ranked number one in the nation on the Monday A people after being number five and taken down number one. And uh, a couple teams, one or two teams in front of them dropping games. I think Kate, uh, Kansas lost to Dayton. So, 
I don't honestly. I don't even think you're giving credit to Mark Williams. I think his defensive performance was special. He turned over what is considered this year's Luca Garza. He turned over Drew Timmy five times, blocked him five times. It was incredible. It was a you couldn't get into the paint unless they came up with some really good passing play because you know they're the most prolific offense in the country. They were able to do so sometimes, but. One-on-one, do not go near Mark Williams. <laughs> he was an absolute stud. And, uh, I mean, Duke is clearly in a class of their own, I think, as far as the rest of the ACC is concerned. They are certainly down bad. I mean, just losing game after game after game, non-conference, that's winnable. Of all the teams that are down bad, which is pretty much the rest of the conference 2 through 15, <laughs> with, with few exceptions, but... Which team are you not panicking about? Give me one. I could probably give you a couple. Um, I'm not really panicking right now about, about Virginia Tech. I, I like them. You know, I, I think they're solid. They they did lose two games this week, but they were both to ranked teams, and they both they played both teams pretty close. Um, I, I like what I'm seeing there. I like the toughness in the Hokies. I like Aline and Aluma, you know, the, the, the fighting A's. I, th- I think n- they lost to uh, Memphis and 25 Xavier. I'm not, su- I'm not sweating them. They might be down bad a little bit. I mean, as you said, the whole conference kind of is. But I- I'm, sticking, I'm sticking with the Hokies right now. That was my team, too. Uh, they had a couple of rough, close losses, like you said, Memphis and Xavier. However, they look like the number two team in the ACC right now. I thought Memphis, they were just a little overmatched. Xavier, their shots just weren't falling. Um, they're top 25 teams in terms of shot quality on offense and defense, courtesy of our guy Simon Gersberg. So just needs to give it time, I think. They'll be a solid representative of the ACC, hopefully get into that 4-5 or five line. But uh, last thing, we, we got the ACC Big Ten Challenge coming up. I'm not really looking forward to it because I don't think we'll even split seven to seven. But do you think we could at least win like five or six of those games? I'm going to go a step further. I think we at least split. I think we get seven or eight. I don't know what I'd set the over under at, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just being, I have my ACC colored glasses on. But I really do think I was kind of trying to, you know, take a glance at some of the matchups. I think we can do it. I really do. I think some of the the tougher matchups that could maybe go either way. You know, we we uh, get them, you know, at home. Some of them we're obviously not going to win. You know, it's not like we're going to sweep. And some of our teams are are down bad and probably down bad for the year. But I'm going to say I'm going to set the. The over-under, if I set it at six and a half, I'd take the over. I'd pound the under on that. Um, <laughs> you know how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm very pessimistic about the conference. Now, like, I'll just, like, all right, so Notre Dame probably loses to Illinois, right? Yeah. Minnesota probably beats Pittsburgh, I think. Mm-hmm. Let, let's say, let's say uh, Wake beats Northwestern, best-case scenario here. Clemson mm-hmm. beats Rutgers, that's two. Mm-hmm. Syracuse beats Indiana, that's three. And mm-hmm. UVA-Iowa, that's four. 
Then you got Duke will win. Duke will win. Yeah, that, that's that's five. But then I, after that, you're kind of looking at your. I think I think UNC could win. They have Michigan at home. Kind of a, a cool rematch, you know. I, I know Michigan's had their number as of late, but this time the Tar Heels get them at home. Uh, who was Florida State playing? Because I felt like they could win. They're playing number three, Purdue. Oh, okay, yeah, no, no, no. no. I was I was hoping they would win <laughs> because that would be a great. They haven't they haven't played as well as they they did last year so far. Uh, you know, especially that overtime victory over BU that was kind of was kind of disappointing. I mean, good that they got the win, but bad that it was it was it was so close. It was a couple more. I I don't know. I, like I said, six and a half, and I'm taking the over. What about Louisville? Who do they play? We got Louisville, Michigan State. I yeah, there we go. That, that's the one I was thinking. I think Louisville can take that. Mac, Mac's back, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, it's his first game back. Chris Mack's back. Yeah, I think Virginia Tech could beat Maryland, so. Yes. It's we possible. got it. We got it. Okay, maybe I said our ceiling higher than six and a half, but I'm not saying our median out higher than six and a half. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're starting off on a Monday night game between Virginia and Iowa, and it's one and a half point favorites for the Hawkeyes. I would mm-hmm. to know that would be absolutely huge for Virginia to start with off with a win. I'm not sure Notre Dame will get it done against Illinois at the nine o'clock slot, but if we go one and one Monday night. That's a solid start for me. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll uh, definitely break recap it at some point and uh, continue with basketball. We'll get into the full swing of it as the actual basketball gets into the full swing of conference play. But for now, keeping it mostly football because we got the ACC championship game upcoming this weekend, and we've got um, our Pipey Award ceremonies going on in the midweek where we'll talk about. Specific plays, specific players, specific staff members, and everything. Uh, accolades for the entire season. And it'll be a fun time here. But I think that'll do it for today. Thank you guys for listening. Please um, join our Discord if you want to participate in the contest for, for uh, next week. And uh, just join our discussion. It's great stuff. And we enjoy having you guys there. The link will be in the episode description. That's all I got for you today. So. Um, once again, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the pipeline ACC podcast.